Every marketer, every communicator has to become an innovation storyteller. Otherwise, we will be too terrified to try out your new product. Hey, this is Jen Harvey. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Buffs, brought to you by Frontify, and recorded pretty much between the bridges of the noisiest parts of downtown New York. In today's episode, we have the pleasure to speak to Susan Lindner, the founder and CEO of Emerging Media. Susan, so you were telling me about kind of the storytelling around new innovations, um, you know, kind of connecting the brand story to, yeah, how a company is going to communicate their new innovation. So tell me more how this actually works. Yeah. So, you know, telling a story around innovation is wholly different than telling a story around uh, toothpaste or, you know, kissing your daughter and putting her to bed at night. An innovation story is wholly unique because it requires that the storyteller take the listener into a future that they cannot see. Mm-hmm. It requires them to get them on board with this new product or service that they don't necessarily know how it works, they don't know how it works in their own life, and they certainly don't understand the benefit it will bestow upon them once they start using it. And so the central part of an innovation story is transformation. It requires of us to show the listener that their life will be transformed when they use this new product or service. I mean, that's really interesting. It sounds all well and good, but how do you, I mean, where do you start when it comes to taking people through that journey of what their life could be? Yeah, so there are actually five steps to this innovation journey that we take people on with storytelling. Um, The first is, Innovators need to take a step back for a moment and recognize that it is the listener who is the hero of the story. Right. And I think a lot of times they want to tell their story and take control of that so much that they forget to put the listener first. Right. And if they're a scientist in the STEM field, the ego might be out of it entirely. And it might be, let me tell you all about the product. Here's all of the features. Here's the cool antenna and the buttons that I built to go on top of it. And by the way, it has this megahertz and this many bytes and this much storage and this much functionality. And who cares? Who cares? Right. You know, I can give you an iPhone, but I bet 99% of us can't tell us, can't tell each other how it works. You know, the fact that there are more than 3000 component parts in an iPhone, no one cares. Um, We want to know what it does for us. Right. So step number one in an innovation story is finding a common history, finding a common ground, a language that we can all operate from before we dive into the future. There, there's a reason why we call it email. We know what mail is. Now you can right. describe to us what the E part is. Okay. So step number one is a shared history. What are the things that we have in common that we bond around, that we understand that first step? Right. Step two is figuring out who is the storyteller. So is it you, the founder, the inventor, the innovator? Um, Is it someone who's an expert in the field who understands what we do and has credibility? 
Is it an influencer, someone from that space and time who's going to be using the product on the other side? Is it a consultant who shares that huge purview around the rest of the world who can talk about this thing and how it has myriad applications to lots of different groups? Is it the user themselves, the customer, who will be the storyteller? One of those early adopters who just loves it and can't wait to tell the world about it? Um, or is it a community as a whole who starts interacting with the product and then just vibes off of how it works? Right. So step number two is figuring out who the prophet is of the innovation. Who's the leader who shares that story? Who's that group? Step number three is... So before you go into step three, yeah. I mean, you brought up the Apple example earlier. Mm. And I just keep thinking to, you know, obviously when they're revealing all of their innovations and the story they tell around it, I mean... It's just so clear to see step two <laughs> from Apple's perspective and how seriously they take it. Right. It's very cool. And having a prophet like Steve Jobs. Right. Like, being the person who unveils this thing. And I think and people people did end up listening to him as being almost like a voice of the future and really waiting to see what's next. That's right. So they kind of branded themselves in that way. Yeah, and a lot of entrepreneurs have tried to put themselves into the I bet, Steve yeah. Jobs box. Many people have said, how do I sound like Steve? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I always say it's important to find your authentic voice. It's more important to sound like you. We already had one of him. Right, we made one right, of you. Right. Yeah. So step number three is shared values. So what is the value, right, of this new product or service that you're bringing to the market? What values does it create? And in the building of it, what values were employed? So was it integrity? Was it speed? Was it quality? Was it disruption? What is that thing that motivated us, that value that was driving the building of that product? Mm -hmm. What resonated with us? Because inherently, it will resonate with the user. Mm -hmm. right? When Steve Jobs told us to think differently, that always drove me crazy, <laughs> think differently, um, <laughs> that we saw in ourselves someone who thought differently. Right? We resonated with that value. We believed we were people mm -hmm. who thought differently, yeah. even if we were the same people in the blue shirts and the khaki pants or in Brooklyn, the flannel shirts, the man buns, <laughs> and the rolled up denims. <laughs> beards. Right, and beards, right. Yeah. Um, but we believe we are people who think differently, and so that resonated with us. It became a universal value for us. So what are the values associated with that product? Mm -hmm. Step four is the message. And probably the hardest part of the story to create, but the most pivotal. So if I think about the prophets, right, the leaders of the greatest religions on earth, and I call them the first viral storytellers ever, they got everyone else to tell their story for them around the world, right? Mm -hmm. That viral storytelling. The message is about saying to the world, what happened in the past is no longer good enough, and it is time for a shift into something greater, right? An eye for an eye, turn the other cheek. I mean, how does this work, though? Like, say you're working with a chief innovation officer for a really big company. Um, you know, is that how they really see the innovations that are coming out? Or, I mean, do they look at it from a revenue generation perspective and then you have to tie the story on there? I mean, how does that process really work? Yeah. Well, when has revenue generation ever motivated an employee? A share, maybe a shareholder, but... Certainly not a customer and certainly not a partner alone, mm -hmm. right? We bond first over something experiential, something that will make us feel like more than we are today. 
and that goes beyond our wallet, which is really transitory and very questionable, especially in innovation. We start building products not even knowing whether or not they're going to work. Mm -hmm. So the shift takes place from, and most chief innovation officers have a portfolio of innovations that are one year, three to five year, 10 years, and many of those along the way may or may not work. Are these like, I'm very interested in this, um, are these usually derived from, you know, client research or, you know, how, how are they building these out? Where it's, are they listening? It depends. So for some companies, let's say an R&D uh, department of an industrial company will be finding new additives, let's say, that will shift whether or not a product is useful or not. Um, or they will look to a customer and say, what does that customer need? Let's build something to suit one customer, and then it winds up exploding um, and winds up being something that everyone can use. Yeah. Sometimes it will come as the result of great failure, right? I mean, our Edison example is 10,000 tries at the light bulb. Um, mm-hmm. And Edison said, I didn't build 10,000 failures. I learned 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. the shift takes place. Certainly revenue is a driver, but it's not what gets any of us up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something greater. not even not even the ch- chief innovation officer. It's really it's really tied to the motivation. That cool new thing shift. that's coming yeah. next. Yeah. 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 And so that message is so critical that says it can't be what it used to be anymore. Right. There's a new thing on the horizon. And by the way, we're the only one who can get that done. Mm-hmm. And then you determine what the only is. But your job is to frame the problem differently and solve the problem differently than everyone else in the market. So that's a question of asking. And if we use a Steve Jobs example again, how was Steve Jobs able to convince us that the standard MP3 player at the time, which typically had a CD player, an MP3 player, and a radio all attached, (laughs) right? We could pretty much get any song we'd ever want. How did he convince us that we should just settle for a thousand songs in our pocket. A thousand songs in our pocket. Why was that message so compelling? When we can have all the songs, why did we settle for a thousand songs? Right. And part of that was a beautiful new device. Part of that were those really cool white headphones that you could put in mm-hmm. your ears as opposed to those giant Walkman headphones, which I find hysterical now that everyone's walking around with beats. Right. Those giant, like, <laughs> bug leg headphones. style, yeah. Right. Okay, so step five of the innovation storytelling process is to determine the early adopters and how to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Innovators need a very small segment of the population to actually try out new technologies and tell their friends. Because young companies, startups, and innovators have, often have very low budgets see whether or not there's going to be market adoption for their product. Mm-hmm. So it's important to focus on the early adopters who will take that up. And how does that, I mean, you know, the overused term influencer, mm-hmm. you know, how do you see that different or the same as an early adopter? It's about managing risk for the person who makes the decision to say yes. Yeah. So let's talk about a B2B context, for example. If I'm an international company looking to sell products here in the U.S., The corporate customer has to make a decision. Why should I work with, let's say, a Swedish startup and their super-duper new energy-efficient product when there are six other products from the United States right here? Why should I take the risk to do that? Mm -hmm. 
who knows, maybe this company won't get venture capital funding. Maybe they'll go out of business tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they'll stop servicing the U.S. market or even my vertical. When we recognize that that person is taking a risk, our job as the startup, as the innovator, is to mitigate the risk. Let me see what I can guarantee you. Let me see how I can make life easier for you to ensure that you and I have a long working relationship together. The other thing from a messaging perspective, from a communications perspective about innovation storytelling is that the person who tells the story has to tell it in a way that the listener can take it with them, that the listener can make it mobile. mobile. Mm -hmm. So a story, a viral story in particular, doesn't work unless it can travel. So if you've just gotten out of a great pitch meeting, if you've just gotten out of a fantastic quarterly earnings meeting, how do you ensure that everyone in the meeting heard what you said and retained it and were able to retell it to someone else? It's important that you have appropriate sound bites that people can lock into or a story that you wrap the numbers around that people can go, wow, that's why Keebler chocolate chip cookies were so amazing this quarter is because they were able to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Those elves were at it again. <laughs> this year it's elves in outer space. I don't know how they do it. You know, whatever it is, it's imperative that we wrap the information we're trying to communicate in a story mm -hmm. and in a soundbite so that someone else can pass it along to the next person. Yeah. And that's why influencers matter. They already have the values portion. Right? We already know what they stand for. Mm -hmm. Now I'm matching my product values with the influencer's values. Right. So there's an acceptance. It's like that spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Right. And so suddenly those values get sandwiched together. They get stuck together. And now your mind opens to say, well, I trust Chrissy Teigen. Mm -hmm. Now I'm willing to trust whatever product it is that she's talking about. Let me learn more. Mm -hmm. Now... Can you provide me the information in a way that I can internalize and I can see myself using in the future? If I can't transport myself there in my, in my creativity and in my imagination, right. I can't get there. I can only still see Chrissy Teigen using it. Right. So their early adopters are more just for, you know, internal validation and messaging. And then the influencers are obviously for external storytelling and trust and... Yeah. yeah. I mean, you may have an internal influencer, someone who maybe has been a huge skeptic and now suddenly is a believer. Mm -hmm. Like that person has the ability to change employee hearts and minds because they have asked all the hard questions on behalf of the employee, for example. Mm -hmm. So a shift in benefits, you know, mm -hmm. is a good time to deploy an internal influencer mm -hmm. to say, here's why I think the shift from Oxford to Aetna to Blue Cross, what have you is worthwhile because someone who I, whom I trust, whose values I believe in, um, are standing up for that change. Because change is a terrifying thing. Innovation in and of its own right is terrifying. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side. So the storyteller has to be the one to make that bridge. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can understand how this would be, you know, especially for bigger companies, a massive investment, a massive launch, there's a lot kind of hinging on the storytelling and branding around these innovation launches. So huge. Yeah. I can imagine that's uh, a bit intimidating, but also really exciting. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, something you and I were talking about before is tying the brand story to the value of the brand. You know, 
And it's clear to us that we understand that we're walking around, let's say, with Apple computers or even an iPhone. We're now over the $1,000 mark for the newest iPhone, right? More than $1,000. And I think it's fair to say that at least on my phone... Yeah. It works pretty well, though. It does work yeah. well. Right? You love that <laughs> nice phone. Nice camera. Good battery life, actually. <laughs> yeah. So for me, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Jen, but it's the phone is my least used app on that device. Oh, totally. Right. It's a computer. Right. Yeah. So this thing that we're walking around with in our pockets all day long has wound up turning into something far bigger right, than we ever could have um, assumed. And the reason that is, is because Apple decided to open that marketplace and allow other people to play. And I think the part that brands don't realize is the way that they derive the greatest value is by letting their communities play with their brand. So we tell a story, but like any good prophet knows, right? We're not just still reciting the stories of the Bible that are, you know, thousands of years old because those stories of your resonate. They resonate because we have made them their our own today. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love it when my horoscope says, um, you will face all different kinds of technical problems and computer issues today. I'm like, <laughs> really? That's what the ancients saw when they looked up at the sky and saw my horoscope <laughs> when they saw the stars? But those stories from ancient times are relevant because we relate them to ourselves. We found our story in the story. Right. Those apps are so relevant and that product is so valuable because we let the community in. We right. let other people tell the stories. Right. And you just said something earlier um, about, you know, basically Apple opened the market. Um, you know, when it comes to innovation and storytelling, you know, how do you actually manage that, you know, versus competition? You know, obviously there's new things coming out. Um you know, whether you're for first or maybe even someone else's first, how do you how do you kind of manage the innovation communications in a competitive landscape? Oh, it's important. That's why I think the more storytellers you have, the better. So first off, your responsibility is to communicate those values and that message clearly and to ensure that it is differentiated from the market. If you are doing it right, you will have, have people that try to copy you within in e-commerce within a month, within B2B, right. three to six months. Right. But you will know that it's working when people try to copy you. Right. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, and so you should view that as, uh, wow, I guess we're doing something right and get ready to keep changing. And the way that you do that is you allow more and more people in to tell their stories. So a couple of things happen. Um, and I want to just focus for a second on brain chemistry. We know that great stories release chemicals into the brain just like drugs. So dopamine, serotonin, mm -hmm. adrenaline. Uh, Pixar knows this better than anyone else. And they know exactly when to drop the bomb, right? They know exactly when to kill Bambi's mother. Right? <laughs> if you ever go and watch Bambi with a theater full of children and the mom gets shot. That's the worst. Right. And they know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to manipulate a small child to fear the greatest fear of their life. Oh. And then they know how to fill you up 
with all of those amazingly beautiful chemicals like Thumper and all of their little friends. And so great storytellers know when to drop the bass, right? They know when yeah. to like hit that, that note and bring people back. So great stories have a protagonist that you can really follow. Great stories have incredible emotion that people relate to immediately. It, it's biochemical. Right. And they also have these incredible events that take place. They have, there is a moment of shift where you can feel something has changed. The earth has shifted and then there are consequences to that shift. So what happens next after that great moment? Now the world is a better place. Right. There's a moral of the story that happens at the end and everyone gets to tell their own story with the same moral of the story. So the competition should be a signal to any brand marketer to let the community in to start sharing more of their stories. If you're doing it right, people will be happy. Mm -hmm. So we see this in un unboxing campaigns. On yeah. the like, who cares? You open a box and yet <laughs> sit there and we watch them, right? Tutorials around makeup and things like that, where mm -hmm. people's lives are shifting. You can watch their faces change. Yeah. Yeah. So let people in to tell their stories. Yeah. And I mean, you can really see the shift, obviously, you know, in branding, in storytelling, where it's becoming so authentic. You know, I mean, yeah, I think letting people in is, is really the key. And I think that's really interesting. Right. Because you can smell an inauthentic story. So I have a, a funny question. So the Super Bowl is coming. There's yeah. going to be loads of ads, lots of branding, lots going on. Um, I feel like those ads are, are, you know, generally kind of outrageous and very over the top. Do you think there'll be any kind of trend towards, you know, kind of like a more authentic message that we could see potentially? So what makes a great Super Bowl ad? Can you recall over the last couple of years, any great ad that sticks in your mind? Is there anyone that just goes, wow. I could watch that again and again. <laughs> or one that just completely bombed, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for me, the ones that are engaging are actually the Doritos ads, where they actually put out a contest. You know, they have their ad agency make one. And then they say to the Doritos community, you know, make your best ad. We'll show it on the Super Bowl. And that's a contest. And in, I did not know they did that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in um, innovation parlance, that's called open innovation. Mm -hmm. right? It's what NASA did when they decided to design the logo for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Mm -hmm. um, rather than have the graphics team at NASA who are completely capable of creating mm -hmm. a logo, they put it out to the world. Mm -hmm. And it turned out a couple from Australia wound up crafting, wound up designing that logo. But what did Very it do cool. for PR value, if we talk yeah. about brand value? Mm -hmm. What did it do for customer engagement? I mean, mm -hmm. who's a customer of NASA? We are fans of NASA yeah. at this point. Yeah. But getting back to your question of the Super Bowl, how do we value a Super Bowl ad in terms of building a brand? So it's very difficult to show like um, in-home purchases, you know, either on the internet or immediately going to the store and getting more Pepsi, getting more <laughs> beer, right? It's very difficult to show an ROI on that ad instantly. Yeah. And many would argue, I don't want a dollars and cents brand um, product buy. I want to establish my brand in the hearts and minds of people so that they know us next time they go to the store to choose us. Mm -hmm. Advertisers, the Agencies, creative agencies would say the greatest mark of a great ad is people going to see it over and over and over again because they can't get enough of the story. 
Mm-hmm. So the Budweiser ad that shows a little puppy and these Clydesdales, you know, the emblematic horse, right, is the most watched Super Bowl ad ever after the Super Bowl. So people continue to want to interact with the Budweiser brand mm-hmm. and the story that was told. And Budweiser also tried it without the Clydesdales. They tried it as a 15-second spot. They tried it as a short spot to get pump more and more value out of it. People didn't click on those. They wanted to see the full three minutes. That was almost a mini movie, right, of this ad. And they want to see it beginning, middle, and end. They wanted all of those chemicals going off in their brain. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, the puppy and the Clydesdales. I mean, that's really kind of the only one I can remember that stands out. That one. And uh, I've been living in Europe for a while. So. <laughs> Not a lot of Zupa. No. In, uh, Zupa. <laughs> Zupa in, uh, in Europe. But yeah, those, those moments are one that we can reflect on. Yeah. Now, that said, we shouldn't treat advertising just as art or just as story, right? It has an intended um, it has an intended service, which is to sell product, right? Yeah. And if we get too deep in considering it to be art or pop culture rather than doing its job, like um, probably 15 years ago, one of the most popular Budweiser ads was that WhatsApp ad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where you had like... I tried to forget that one. I think I blocked that. Friends just calling each other going, what's up, what's up, what's up? <laughs> well, in that time frame that the WhatsApp ad ran, that advertising agency won more awards than any other agency, period, because the whole country was saying, what's up? It right. turned out Miller Lite was outselling Bud Light almost two to one at the same time. Hmm. So we have to kind of, we have to also be a little bit skeptical. We have to look deeply at what's really driving the market. Right. And does taste great, less filling, sometimes win over the more cliche you know, right. or more creative. I mean, that's pretty interesting, though, because I think the Clydesdales so are closely tied to Budweiser and what they stand for. And that other campaign is just, I think, a little, you know. Kitschy. And yeah, fun. yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's that's pretty interesting how those are tied together. Right. Um, the question is, will you be drinking a Bud this Super Bowl? <laughs> I don't drink beer. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> Easy out. Yeah. Um, I think we have time to squeeze kind of one more in. So like I completely get how, you know, you're taking these innovations, you're you're, you know, matching it with the story, you're getting, you know, the community to hopefully carry that message and really understand, you know, what their future could look like with this new innovation. Do you have a just a tangible example of you know, kind of, you know, something that's come out and how you were able to kind of manage the process around the messaging and what that looked like when you actually rolled it out. I mean, we don't need a full on case study, but just kind of a more tangible example. Yeah, I had the fantastic opportunity to work with GE Healthcare and their ultrasound team in a tiny little village in Austria called Zipf. And Zipf, unbeknownst to most people, is the home of the invention of ultrasound. Um, this team was doing incredible work, but the margins on ultrasound machines are pretty slim and the competition is, uh, is dire. It's very intense. So what's the difference if you're going in for an exam between you choosing a GE machine versus another? Mm-hmm. Well, the goal of the team was to get you to choose a GE machine every time you went in as a pregnant woman to go for your ultrasound. Okay. 
Most people don't even have the option. Right. 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 So we did a whole one day workshop of really looking at how do we tell the story across procurement, across hospitals, to doctors, to all the way down to patients. Um, and what we found was what GE offered when we looked at how to solve the problem differently and frame the problem differently than everyone else in the market was they had the greatest amount of data to share. And so that doesn't sound like anything really sexy. But when we reimagined every single customer along the supply chain from the head of procurement at a hospital in China, all the way down to a pregnant woman in Duluth, we thought, what does that data give her? And we came up with this slogan. Well, actually, the GE team came up with the slogan as a result of the workshop. She has the right to know. She has the right to know absolutely everything about her baby. She has the right to know everything about her health, oh, yeah. about how this machine works, yeah. how much it's going to cost me. Is my sales process transparent? But she has the right to know. And as a result, GE Healthcare wound up doing this incredible advertising campaign with the faces of different women. And it just says she has the right to know. And now this incredible ultrasound machine is more selected by healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. but also by women who get to see their baby now in 3D and in color. And by the way, they had a blind couple who came in who wanted to see their baby, but it's an ultrasound. It's a picture. Right. They hooked it up to a 3D printer and wow. in utero created a sculpture of this wow. 3D image of their baby so they could actually hold the baby before it was even born. Wow. Wow. Right. So she has the right to know wound up spawning yeah. all of these incredible things. And it it was the beginning of this workshop of going, how do we completely reimagine how we tell this story of a boring old ultrasound machine? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. And I think that's the yeah. power of story. It allows us to reimagine even what's innovative, but even that which is old in a whole new way. Right. I mean, I, I would normally ask, you know, what do you think the future would be, but you, I think you're already operating in the future a little bit. So <laughs> where's my flying car? <laughs> I want a flying car. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, do you, do you think that, you know, innovation communications is coming out in a, in a, you know, kind of directing in a certain way or there's trends? Do you think, you know, the general public is trusting innovation communications more? I mean, what do you see there? I think we have to because because change is so terrifying and because things are happening at the speed of light. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing to think that the iPad was just was 10 years ago, that there was no iPad before that. Right. You know, and how quickly our lives are changing as a result. I went to Lockheed Martin and saw a satellite that was being built that would be launched 30 years from now. And I said, how do you make something that's going to launch 30 years from now? They said, it's going to be made with, the, with technologies that have not been invented yet. Hmm. So for example, an antenna must weigh one quarter of what it weighs now in order to go into flight based on our calculations. I said, hmm. but how will that work? They go, we have to assume that the materials will be invented between now and the next 30 years, that this hmm. antenna will weigh one quarter of what it weighs now. So it's building even with the premise of not even knowing what will come next, but having faith that it will be there. And so the, the wow, goal okay. of the storyteller is to help us get there. 
help us walk into the future without fear and to allow us to see ourselves in that future and be happy there. So it's not a small task, but it's a really important task. And given the rate of change, every marketer, every communicator has to become an innovation storyteller. Otherwise, we will be too terrified to try out your new product. And by the way, innovation is what drives the bottom line. So if your company is not innovating, if you're still making it like you've always made it and we're never going to change, chances are you won't be around in the next 50 years. Right. So it's incumbent upon all of us to keep thinking in a future looking way. Wow. Impressive stuff. (laughs) Susan Lindner, storyteller of the future. Literally. (laughs) We're all going to be storytellers of the future. We have to be. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for for all the education around uh, innovation and storytelling. And uh, good to see you again, as always. Likewise. And thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. (laughs) If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. Or visit frontify.com forward slash podcast.